Hi, I'm Liz Corey. And I'm Katie King. And this is True Crime New England. Welcome back to another episode of Horrible Shit Going On in New England. Hi. <laughs> Welcome back. We're very excited to have you. We have been honestly living the dream with all of the support. And we'll say it every week because people are so fucking kind. People are so nice. Yeah. Like, it's it's really nice. It's refreshing. Yeah. And so what we wanted to do for our little intro today before we got into some absolutely horrific shit um, is a little fun uh, travel in time, would you say, I think. Yeah, so we realized in the first episode, um, someone actually wrote in to us and asked how we met and how we became friends, um, and we never covered it in episode one, so... We figured now was the time. Yeah, because we've been friends for, Jesus, what is it, like 10, 10 years? years? Yeah. yeah. And we're, I would say we're young, so that's a long time. That's almost half of our lives. Yeah. That's disgusting. That's, that's <laughs> that we're so old crazy. like that. Um, so... Katie and I met in seventh grade. Oh my God. We were in middle school. Um, our middle school was set up in, I don't know if a lot of middle schools do it like this, but every grade had four pods. And so there were two pods each, like pairs. So they were sister pods. I was in pod six and you were in pod seven. Yeah. And they were sister pods. So we had lunch together. And that also meant we had gym class together. That's I believe. right. Yeah. So we had, and I think we did have gym together. Like we did. We, we hung out, um, back when we were fetuses, but we, um, we did lunch together. And it's funny because before we started recording, we were trying to remember all the people who were sat at, at us at our lunch table and we couldn't. <laughs> Just a no, few. So if you're listening and you're like, hey, I remember that, yeah. let us know because we're trying to figure it out. Yeah. So. We remember a few people, but yeah. not everyone. It's clear who the stars were. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But we sat together seventh grade and eighth grade. That's right. Um, and then in high school, we had history together. Um, and then sophomore year, we had gym together. That actually was... It First was hell, period gym. but it was so much fun. Yeah. Like, we made it fun, even yeah. though high school gym class is, like, the epitome of... It was hell. It's like the seventh circle of hell. No, but. it truly <laughs> is. It was awful. And But we had first period, so it was, like, if there was an eighth circle of hell. I don't know if there is. Is there? It, that was it. That was it. So... <laughs> Oh my god, was that when we had to do like the square dancing units? Yes. Who the fuck devised that? Yeah. Who made us do that? Satan. <laughs> Satan himself. It was terrible. Yeah, but we stuck through it. Yeah. So. And then in our junior and senior years, we were in something called SST together, which was like a vocational school. Mm -hmm. If you remember, Katie, and I was thinking about this earlier, we actually had a falling out at the end of our junior year. Yeah, we did. And we did not talk for <laughs> we did. six months. Yeah, we didn't talk for a little bit. Yeah. And then, and what was it, like, senior year, we were like, <laughs> Yeah. You went to my surprise birthday party. I, I remember yeah. that. And that was in October, so it was pretty early on in the yeah. year, but we, we made up. And then at the end of senior year, I got into a little tiff with two of our friends. I remember that. And then that. you were my only friend. I remember that. Yeah, so me and Katie, we've been We go way it. back. We go, yeah, we go way back. Yeah, we have a lot of inside jokes. Like, our passwords for this are inside jokes, mm -hmm. so good luck trying to hack us. Yeah. If you went to high school with us, you may have a better chance, but 
the chances are doubtful. low. Yeah, doubtful. Because you probably were sitting there like these girls. Yeah, what so is wrong with them? Yeah. <laughs> well, they shut up for oh, one day. We were so annoying, but you know what? We're fucking hilarious. And so. we, no, it was so much fun. It was. Like, a you have to fun. make the most of high school, school gym class. Yeah. Oh my god, it was terrible. First period gym is. I don't think I've ever hated life anymore. Like, why are we getting all sweaty and then having to go through our entire day of high school? It was awful. Like, who decided that was a good idea? Satan. Yeah. <laughs> Honestly, it was terrible. And I, I remember they made us run every gym class, like the beginning, to Crazy Train by yes. Ozzy Osbourne. Yes. And now I truly cannot hear that song <laughs> on the radio. I get so triggered. I'm like, I feel like I have to run a lap. And I... Guys, I'm not, like, a thin, fit person, so I hear this song, and I'm like, all right, here we go. Your heart rate increases. It, yeah, it's awful. It was, it was so stressful. It was pretty terrible. So, luckily, we have long surpassed the uh, gym class of high school phase, and here we are, still buddies, 10 years later. So, Yay. for those of you who asked, that is how we met. Yeah. Long story. Long story long. short. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, we... Uh, have a lot of the similar interests we have the same humor we always have um and so you know when i introduced katie to the best podcast that we love so much my favorite murder we kind of just rolled from there yeah both of our obsessions grew and here we are happy as clams so anyway that was a more positive note to the start of something that's going to be very negative yes our case today is brutal and we do want to give a forewarning that it is something that if you are easily triggered or upset by child murder mm-hmm. um, or like addiction, that kind of thing, I would maybe skip it. Um, and I think it's really important to mention that. And we will mention it when things are upsetting because I believe you guys deserve a warning before things happen. So Yeah, and regardless of how big of a fan of true crime anybody is, there's always going to be something, some kind of aspect of it that is upsetting to someone. Because not everybody can handle or wants to hear about all these crazy things that happen, especially with children. For sure. So yeah, we will always, when a case is pretty brutal, we will always give you guys a forewarning. Mm -hmm. And without further ado, we will be doing the case of Baby Doe of Deer Island. So today, we're going to be covering the case, as we said, Mm -hmm. of Baby Doe of Deer Island. Yes. This is a recent case, and if you're from New England, you probably remember it. I know I remember it very well because it was so incredibly sad, and it's one of those things that, like, once it's in your brain, you can not get it out. Yeah, there were a lot of aspects of this case that were very shocking, and the Mm -hmm. way that it was portrayed to the public it was very it was really shocking it was very disturbing to hear about this case especially when you know a little girl's body is found in a bag that is going to shake up the whole town the whole state oh god yeah the whole country i know that for a fact this was covered nationwide um i believe i watched something on nbc about it um and i even think cnn something like that mm-hmm. like a national news station yeah. covered this case so this is well known and you guys might remember it yourselves before we start as always our sources katie if you'd like to go first do you have sure yeah so cbs boston had an article on this mm-hmm. wikipedia of course sure i usual sure. um and then cnn covered this oh yes so my sources were 
Unidentified Wiki, which was a Wikipedia page for unidentified missing people. I had True Crime Daily, which we've used before, and they're fantastic. Boston Herald, a video on Watch Stitch, which was fantastic. And then I watched real footage of this case in the trial. So the people who were involved with that. I watched the testimony. I watched the sentencing. Oh, wow. It was crazy. And I spent hours, because this was real time. Like, it was filmed, the whole thing. So I watched hours of it. Very sad. Very interesting. So those were my sources there. Cool. And let's, I mean, let's get into it. Yeah. Let's, let's start with the... Uh, the very day, June 25th, mm-hmm. 2015. We are in Deer Island, Massachusetts. And there's a woman. Her name is Bonnie Flynn. And she is watching her, walking her dog, who is a black lab, I believe. And she was just walking him. It was morning time. And she was on the shores of Deer Island, which is right near Logan Airport. And mm-hmm. for those of you who don't know, Logan Airport is the main airport in Boston. Mm-hmm like the big hub and she comes up along this trash bag and she didn't think much of it except her dog did so her dog was going crazy sniffing circling the bag it was double knotted so it was like really tightly you know sealed and she i mean she was like what is this So I think she did what any of our true crime loving hearts would do. And she took a seashell and she cut it about five inches, she said. This was from her testimony in court. Um, She cut it with a seashell. She saw white material with black polka dots. And as she continued to cut the bag a little more, she saw what can only be described as two legs unfolding. So, like, they were cramped up, folded, and then with the opening of the bag, they were released and fell forward. And she said, as she quotes, they looked like human legs, a child. Yes. Very unfortunate. That's, uh, can you imagine walking your dog and finding that, coming across that? That's terrible. Oh, my God. It makes you sick, just imagining if that were you finding that. I don't know how I'd ever come back from that. Yeah. This woman is so strong, and she very brave for even just digging in the, opening the trash bag. I know. Can you imagine if she didn't investigate how long this child would have sat in that bag for? Probably a very long time. Yeah. Because it's, I mean, trash, like litter. Yeah. That's what it appears to be on the side of the, on the shore, like a rocky shore of a beach. No one's really going to look into that. It's, it's just crazy. So the police had responded and they used cadaver dogs to determine if any of the other bodies were at the scene, if there were anything else going on, or if it was mm-hmm. just this one. Um, and then while the police were surveying, um, there was kind of a public outcry. And so people started coming to Deer Island and leaving mm-hmm. flowers once yeah. they figured out there was a child. Yeah. Which is really nice that everyone came to do that. But, yeah. I'm, you know, it speaks to community and how great that is and can be as a tool. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was nice. I did see some pictures of that, you know, flower memorial that was outside of the area where she was found. Um, they, they were able to say it was a she. They did release that it was a little girl. Mm-hmm. And she was wearing white leggings with black polka dots, which is what Bonnie Flynn had said she had seen. Mm-hmm. And that was it. She was wrapped in a zebra print blanket and also a quilted blanket that was pink and flowery. So they shared these pictures on the news saying, do you recognize this quilt? You may have quilted it. Do you recognize this 
pair of leggings? Like, do you know where it's from? Does your child have a pair like this? That kind of thing. Um, with testing and just general looking over her body, they described her as three feet, six inches tall and weighing about 30 pounds. And they estimated that she was around four years old. And of course, as we said, she was now called Baby Doe of Deer Island. Mm -hmm. um, it was so like mind-blowing reading this description and listening to what the police had to say at like this press conference and how they described her body and the state it was in. And this is really disgusting, but it says that she had skin slippage, which means that she probably had been in the water mm -hmm. now this makes sense because she was found on the shore mm -hmm. so what they believe was that she was put in the water and then the bag came ashore so she was in an advanced state of decay from the water mm -hmm. was what it was so that was june 25th unfortunately there was no immediate tips coming in mm -hmm. saying oh that's somebody i know that's my neighbor that's my I think that's my goddaughter, whatever. There was nothing coming in. At this point, they hadn't had uh, released a recreation of her face. So on July 2nd of 2015, they released a digitally reconstructed image of what they believed Baby Doe looked like. Yeah, so this was really cool. So Christy Andrews, she's a forensic artist with the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children. She created this image on Photoshop using forensic facial reconstruction technology. So the image is actually pretty similar to what this child was determined to look like. Um, there were a couple differences, of course, because of the state of decomposition. Mm -hmm. It was really hard to really pinpoint certain features of the child. But right. the image, it was created in four hours on Photoshop. It was really Crazy. impressive. Yeah, that's not a lot of time at all, I feel no, like. No, it was really, really impressive. And so this image became... It was released nationally, mm -hmm. and a lot of people were struck with the fact that it looked so much like a photograph, mm -hmm. um, but it actually, they said, no, this is created on Photoshop mm -hmm. to resemble this child. This is not actually what this child looks like, but if right. you see something similar, right. like please call in and let us know. Mm -hmm. um, and they also used this picture to compare it with other identities for missing children, seeing mm -hmm. if any of the missing children profiles that the National Center had were similar to this image mm -hmm. to try to compare, you know, maybe missing children that we have registered as missing. Right. Maybe she is this child and they've washed up ashore. Right. And that was a great idea um, as yeah. well to use that because while they're attempting to solve one case, they could potentially solve others. Yeah. Which is really awesome. Unfortunately, it didn't work out that way, but yeah. it was a good... That's a really good thought process. Right, right. So that was July 2nd. Mm -hmm. July 3rd, an autopsy was conducted, and they said that it didn't conclude what had happened to her. Mm -hmm. It just basically said that there was no obvious signs of injury on her body, which was very bizarre. And then they also did tests for, like, drugs and toxins and alcohol. They couldn't find anything. Mm -hmm. They did tests for bleach or cleaners um, either to show that you know someone tried to clean up the scene or that they had killed her with cleaner or bleach couldn't find anything like that and then they also released information which i thought was cool about her clothes like where they were from so her clothes were 4t that was the size which mm -hmm. is also why they believed okay maybe she's around four years old um and they found that you know want her uh 
pants, her polka dot leggings were from Target, or that was a brand that was sold at Target, mm -hmm. which, great that they discovered that, but that narrows down to almost not, like, there's no narrowing down. Right. A lot of people shop at Target. Yeah, or it could have been gifted. Exactly. You don't, you don't know. Donated, maybe, picked up at a Savers or exactly. a Goodwill, you have no idea. There's no way of knowing. So that was a good thought, but it seemed to not do anything. Right. Unfortunately. Um, they also described n now that Baby Joe was possibly, she was white for sure, but possibly had Hispanic ties. Mm -hmm. And this will be important later mm -hmm. um, for sure. And her hair was brown and wavy and about 14 inches in length, which I was trying to picture in my head. I mean, I don't really know. But it said that they could probably guess it hadn't been cut in about two years mm -hmm. is what they were saying. Which, again, that'll come up later. That's pretty important. Um, she had brown eyes. And she didn't have any birthmarks or scars on her body that were defining or, you know, easily identifiable. And there was no sign of malnutrition or abuse. She was fed. She didn't have bruises or cuts uh, or things that they look for in abused children like you and I, Katie, know um, just from our nursing schooling. But mm. she didn't have any of that. Yeah, and then it came up later that the child had pierced ears, so then they right. later went into the Photoshop image and updated it to reflect this picture having pierced ears. Which earrings. is cool, I think. That's really cool Very. that they could able, be able to determine that. Yeah, like detail-oriented, too. Yeah. I mean, that's important. It's like, really fascinating. Like, oh, this can't be my granddaughter. She doesn't have her ears pierced, like yeah. that kind of thing. So she had, I believe she had earrings in Yeah. Um, when she was put in the bag. So I think, you know, that was important to include in her digitally recreated mm -hmm. picture um so that was the description of this baby um july 4th weekend everyone was like especially the police were like if you go to a gathering and you notice that your niece is missing like she's usually there she's a little girl and she's not there report it if you are at fireworks and you notice you know, family that you know that doesn't have their little girl, but they have their other two, whatever. They said, pay attention. Mm -hmm. If you notice anything different, call the police. Yep, be diligent. Mm -hmm. We want tips. We want anything. anything. And then this is where the police started to come up with other theories, too, as to how this could have happened. Um, so Deer Island, there's a, a wastewater treatment plant near there. So they thought that maybe an employee from the wastewater treatment plant had dumped the body there mm. um, in the, the cover of night or they had gone off right. on break or something like, oh, I'm going to go take a smoke and then yeah. they dispose of the body. Um, but that was later ruled out when they figured out that um, there's no way this body was dumped on the island. It had to have been dumped in the water and washed up on shore. Right. I think they even said that they believed at first that maybe the bag came from like Canada yeah. or it had flown up floated up from like Florida mm -hmm. because they didn't know and they were starting to think we should probably expand our search internationally because yeah. they just didn't know. No, you have no idea and the Coast Guard actually got involved to try mm -hmm. to help them retrace the water currents but right. to see where this kid could have come from but that's intense. Yeah, I mean th there's no way to really trace it. I mean, you could yeah. have a hurricane 100 miles offshore and right. that'll affect the water currents up in Boston. So right. there's really no way to exactly pinpoint, but that was yeah. a really good effort and a really good thought process. I think so too. I think that's uh really pinpointing such small details that could ultimately lead to her her being discovered, her identity. So that's really neat that they did that. Yeah. Um, it was also used as a way to kind of rule out some other missing children around in the area. Mm -hmm. Some of the names 
Ayla Reynolds, it was determined to not be her. Cassidy Gibbs, also determined to not be her. And then another little girl named Shoshana Black, not her. So they were ruling out all these missing children, which was a great tool, I think. But in the end, it ended with, you know, those girls weren't found. Mm -hmm. Um, It was just another hopeful moment. Like, maybe this is her, but it it wasn't in any of those cases. So there was even a criminologist that came forward and said that she believed that being killed by a stranger was not likely. And they said it was because no relatives came forward with information. They believed that one of the family members had to do with the death of this baby because nobody came forward. Mm -hmm. So you'd think if it was someone like a stranger abduction, your family would be like, what is going on? Where is my baby? But if it's family, they have something to hide. Right. Yeah. So they kept that under lock and key. Whoever it was, they did not come forward. So now we're at July 4th, July, you know, she's Mm -hmm. been found in the end of June, still not identified. There's press conferences. There's coverage on CNN worldwide with this digitally reconstructed photo. Yeah, I mean, this case is blowing up. So the fact that by now, with all of this time that had passed and all of this coverage, that nobody still is coming forward, it's it's pretty ridiculous. It's scary. It's very scary. And I remember this when they found her body, and my mom works in Boston, so I just remember thinking, like, that's so close Mm -hmm. and it could literally be anyone it's another one of those cases like last week's with robert joyle yeah could be anyone so having it be so close just makes these cases hit harder i think oh yeah for sure because when we think of true crime we like to think of oh it could never happen to me or my family and this is happening states away and you know that's a big city thing and this is this could never happen here in in new england this could never happen you know as our as our whole podcast is about this happens and it's, it's really <laughs> scary to think of how close to home these things really hit. Yeah, for sure. It's horrifying. And this was recently, too. This wasn't something that happened in the 80s. This was 2015. Yeah. That's so... We were um, sophomores in high school, I think. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just... It blows your mind. Um, they also... The criminologist that came forward and said, hey, I think that this was somebody from a family that killed this baby. They also came forward and said that other children in their you know, family or possession, they were worried that they might be hurt as well. So they started looking for other bodies like tied up in trash bags. I know that's terrible, but in the area like washed up on shore because they thought, well, if there's one, there is a possibility there's another. Yeah. Especially if it was family. So that was really scary because now they were scrambling to see if there was any other babies that were murdered right or kids that could potentially be put in that same position exactly it was terrifying and i think a lot of people were on edge especially because a lot of people didn't know that it was a family related or didn't believe that so they had their little kids and they were horrified they thought there was someone going around killing their babies yeah i'd be terrified i don't blame them not at all it's it's so crazy so by now the police are getting more and more tips um they actually received a tip that Someone had called in to report a woman dumping a trash bag over a bridge nearby into the water. Um, Upon investigation, it was revealed that the contents of the trash bag were spoiled fruit. So it's like they're getting tips left, right, and center now, and they have to go investigate all of these tips to make sure. (laughs) Like, what if the one tip they don't investigate is the one that has all the answers? Yeah. So you hear of a woman dumping a trash bag over a bridge nearby Mm -hmm. in the water where this child was found. You think, oh, my God, is is that the mother of this kid dumping a sibling? Like, it's just crazy. And 
what are the chances it's, you know, the one thing they don't look into, like you said, was the one Right. Can they take that risk? And so they're exhausting all of their efforts and the search is going on and on Mm -hmm. and people are working tirelessly to figure this out. And it it was just crazy. And I bet that's exhausting too for law enforcement and people who are involved in the search, like every little tip that is, that adds up, especially when you have people calling in for things like that. And I'm glad someone called in because that, you know, could have been something bad. And it looks very suspicious. Yeah, why was she... Thank you for calling that in. It looks terrifying. Yeah. And I mean, she shouldn't have been littering, but that's (laughs) that's another story. You're dumping trash in the water. This is not a... I hope they found her and find her. Yeah. But come on. True crime, minor crime. (laughs) Minor infractions. (laughs) (laughs) This is true crime, New England. So that's crazy. I mean, they had to exhaust everything. You're right. Everything that happened. They had to... Every tip. Especially with a child, too. You mm-hmm. you do not want to stop and give up and rest when a child is involved. And you know these detectives and law enforcement have kids of their own, too, sure. that they're thinking of. Oh, for sure. It's, it's such a sad situation. It really is. July 20th, 85 digital billboards were posted around the state of Massachusetts. And these, of course, were an effort to identify Baby Doe. They were trying so hard. They had this beautiful digitally uh, recreated image of a little girl and that picture burns in my mind I know that picture yeah um they had it everywhere billboards big signs all around Massachusetts have you seen me do you know who I am is what they said um July 22nd of 2015 this is when police make a statement and they're they feel they're getting a little closer They say that they have a DNA profile of this little girl, of Baby Doe of Deer Island, and it's official, they have it ready, but unfortunately, there are no matches on this DNA. After almost three months, on September 18th, 2015, Baby Doe's identity was finally determined. Finally. Almost three whole months, this little girl didn't have a name, except there were people that knew her name and didn't say Mm. terrifying so there are a couple different accounts um a bunch of different information as to how this child was identified so um a woman named laura sprinsky she was the sister of a neighbor she had reported concern to the police because she noticed that her neighbor rochelle bond and the neighbor rochelle's boyfriend michael p mccarthy she noticed she hadn't seen rochelle's daughter and she asked Rochelle, you know, hey, I haven't seen, you know, your child around. What's mm-hmm. what's going on? And Rochelle said, oh, she was taken away by child services. Mm-hmm. And this woman, Laura, believed her at first, you know, that it tends to add up. Okay, whatever, that's fine. Um, I'm so sorry that that happened to you. Right. And then she raised some alarm because she noticed that this woman, Rochelle, was throwing away this child's toys in the trash. Yeah. So when your child is taken away by Child Protective Services, you know, you could send those toys to them. Those Don't belongings still belong to them. They yeah. can, Child Services will take their belongings with yeah. them. That's their stuff. Right. So it's, it, it kind of didn't add up that she's watching this woman throw, like, toys and blankets and clothes and all this little girl's stuff away in the trash. And so right. Laura called in to police just to let them know, hey, this is going on and this seems a little suspicious to me. Right. And so, ultimately, they got a search warrant for Rochelle Bond's apartment, and they concluded that Baby Doe was Bella Bond, Rochelle Bond's two-and-a-half-year-old daughter. Now, if you remember from a few minutes ago, we said that 
the police report said that it was a four-year-old girl, mm -hmm. which is also another reason why it took so long, because she was only two, mm -hmm. two and a half. And you also might remember that I said her hair was 14 inches long and it looked like it hadn't been cut in two years. That's because it had never been cut. She was two and a half years old. That gave me chills when I read that. I was like, of course it wasn't cut because she's a baby. She never had a haircut. She never had a chance to even get a haircut. So fucking sad. But they finally identified Bella Bond. And on our Instagram, thanks to Katie with her amazing social media correspondence. Thank you. <laughs> she is in charge of all of our Instagram stuff. She does a great job. Um, she posts, posted a picture of Bella side by side with her uh, digitally recreated photo and then the photo of Bella. It's actually very strikingly similar. You know, right. obviously, as you said before, with the state of decomposition that right. the child was in. There are some differences, right. and you know, um, sadly, these these Photoshop tools and the forensic technology tend to, in some cases, whitewash the images, so mm -hmm. the child will look more white than they're supposed to. So that can right. throw people off too if they think they're looking for a child of a different race than the kid actually is. Right. But sometimes the decomposition again, you can't. Sometimes it's so progressed that you can't actually tell the race of the child. So. Right. And then sometimes too, the technology just is not as modern as you'd think it should be right. with finding these children especially yeah so but yeah on our instagram um there's a side by side and it's it's really crazy to look at it is and like you said with the whitewash that was one thing that did have fault in this case because mm -hmm. bella was half hispanic mm -hmm. and she did have darker skin than um a white person so that did kind of also throw off some of bella's family and friends they were like this didn't look like her because we know that she's Hispanic, mm -hmm. not white. So that did have some trouble, which I feel like is going to happen anytime you have a case like this where you have a digitally recreated photo. Yeah. Sometimes they're really spot on and sometimes they're not. And mm -hmm. that's at no one's fault. Yeah. It's just the nature of the beast. Right. Exactly. So one of the reasons why Bella was discovered to be baby doe of Deer Island was due to Laura Sprinsky mm -hmm. that you talked about. And this was because of her brother, Michael Sprinsky. Now, Michael was um, friends with Michael McCarthy, who was Rochelle Bond's boyfriend at the time of Bella's death. Um, of course, Rochelle being Bella's mother. Um, Bella's mother, Rochelle, had a long history of drug abuse. Long, long history. And she actually had her first two children taken away by the state 10 years prior. Mm -hmm. So this was also why Laura thought, okay, that's possible. Because, right, this adds up because right. her other two previous children were taken away by, you know, Child Protective Services. Right. So this could be a likely scenario. It just made sense. And yeah. you want it to make sense in that way because that meant the child wasn't harmed. Right. So... Like I was saying, Michael um, Sprinsky was friends with McCarthy growing up. They mm -hmm. were good buddies. And um, in this time, this is when I watched the testimony of Michael Sprinsky. He did an amazing job. He um, was friends with McCarthy and through McCarthy met Rochelle. Mm -hmm. And he actually was himself an addict and he was down in his luck and he was couch hopping and so he ended up spending quite a few weeks and a long time at this apartment it was a two-bedroom apartment uh he stayed in the back bedroom and you know um he 
knew Bella. He played with Bella. He cooked for her sometimes. He read her books. He knew Bella. So this, of course, was hard for him as well because this was an innocent little girl living with, you know, his friend and his girlfriend, and they were all, you know, drug addicts. But she she was well taken care of Mm -hmm. for a little while. um, Michael reported in, in the testimony that everything seemed normal and good and that Rochelle clearly loved her daughter very much and that Bella loved her mom. She was always with her mom, always wanted her mom. Yeah, and other family and friends later on went on to testify that, you know, even though Rochelle was struggling and she had a drug problem, clearly, she really tried as a mother. Mm -hmm. They would see her holding hands with Bella and having tea parties with her and playing with her out in the yard. And she really did try for her daughter. So this is why this this case is just so fucked up. Fucked up, truly. Um, Michael Sprinsky lived at the apartment. I want to say this was in like the winter time before Bella was murdered. Um, He, again, had known McCarthy his whole life and said that McCarthy was into the occult and the supernatural, Mm -hmm. which normally I would say whatever. Some people have weird interests. That's fine. But he was like really interested in it. And he had been for a long time in that he claimed that he could remove demons from people's houses, which is bizarre. Um, A little cuckoo. So I don't know how or why he got that thought, but clearly he wasn't like a stand-up guy, if that was the case. Right. Um, He actually talked about an isolated incident. This was Sprinsky talking about McCarthy, um, where he McCarthy claimed that he took a woman to Quincy Beach. Shout out to Quincy. That's where my mom grew up. um, And baptized her. Oh God. Baptized this baptized this woman on the beach. Yeah, and then he claimed that he had special abilities to, like, remove evil spirits from her. Yeah, what the fuck? Sure. This sounds kind of like a... And I'm not discounting anybody's beliefs. No. But it sounds a little like a delusion to me. A little bit. And because McCarthy is so caught up in drugs, I, I feel like this, this might be part of that. I would agree. So Spritsky moved out after um, a little while because... Michael McCarthy was talking so much about the occult and like the devil that he couldn't handle it. So I'd be terrified. I'd be shitting myself. I'd be like, uh, bye. Yeah, I need to go. Goodbye. He had books about it. And so Michael Sprinsky left. Um, he moved out after about two weeks of living with them. And then he was out of the apartment for like a month. And then he came back and was, he didn't like live there, but he came and stayed the night like two or three times a week. And, This was back before when Bella was still alive, and Mm -hmm. he said this is when he saw change in how Bella was being treated. No one was feeding her. No one, and by no one I mean Michael McCarthy and her mother Rochelle. They weren't feeding her. They weren't paying attention to her. They were letting her cry and cry and cry. And Michael Sprinsky was like, "What the fuck?" Like you know, whenever he came over, he would bring her milk and he'd bake her mac and cheese like he was taking care of her a little bit Mm -hmm. while he was visiting because he noticed that there was some kind of change in the time that he left and i'm getting all this directly from his mouth this is something he said in the testimony Mm -hmm. and i was listening and i picture me with my head in my hands i was like oh my god this poor man i mean it was crazy so in june mccarthy claimed that the fridge was broken. This is a huge 
deal because um, we'll tell you. But basically, one day Sprinsky was going to come over. He always said he called and asked if it was okay. And they always were like, yeah, sure, whatever, every time. And he said, okay, I'm going to pick up some milk or whatever. And so this time he called you know, McCarthy and said, Oh, I'm going to stop over. And they're like, okay, sure. And, um, he said, okay, I'll bring, I'll bring milk for Bella. And he said, no, no, uh, don't bring milk. Our fridge is broken. And so he said, okay. And he came over there and Bella wasn't there. And he, he said that McCarthy gave like an excuse, like, Oh, she's with Rochelle's sister. She's with her godmother something like that. And so Sprinsky was like, all right, whatever. Sure. But little did he know at this point in time, Bella was actually dead, mm-hmm. murdered. Crazy. It's, it's just, it's so crazy. And then Michael Sprinsky, he actually had seen the photo, um, the digitally recreated photo. And he said it was a striking resemblance to Bella. And so that on top of what his sister, Laura is saying, like, Hey, Rochelle told me that CPS, you know, child protective services, yeah took Bella, but I saw her throwing away all of Bella's things. Right. And then Michael was like, holy shit, you know what? That picture looks a little bit too much like this girl who is no longer in this house. So that is kind of raising alarms. And this actually was so traumatizing for Michael Sprinsky that this whole incident um, inspired him to become clean. And he's still sober to this day. Which is fantastic. Very good for him. It's very sad that this had to be the thing that you know got him clean but I'm glad that he took it and he was able to make something positive out of it and you know really change his life right and I believe he had children too so I Mm -hmm. think you know this was good for him his family yeah he genuinely is a good guy yeah so you know he went through some stuff but it's really great that he was able to come out of it and I I hate that it was because of this like that Mm -hmm. shouldn't have happened um another part of Michael Sprinsky's testimony was that one time he went in he went over, you know, Bella wasn't there. And then in September, he went to their apartment. This was a few days before her identity was revealed and they were arrested. Um, Sprinsky was at their apartment and he was just hanging out with them when Rochelle Bond's baby daddy essentially came in. His name was Joe Amoroso. Mm-hmm. He was the father of Bella Bond. Now, the crazy part is that he had ne- never met Bella. So he was coming. This was him coming and saying, all right, it's time. I want to meet my daughter. Now, as we kind of prefaced, obviously Bella was dead at this point. So Rochelle was being very shady. She was talking to him on the, the porch and saying, you can't see her. You know, Child Protective Services took her. She's not here. And Joe was really pissed, but eventually he left. Now, Rochelle went in the house. Obviously, you could hear the fighting outside. Sprinsky then reported that he could hear McCarthy yelling and screaming at Rochelle, saying words that I say a lot of swears, but I'm not repeating these ones. He would say things like, your dirty blank drips, you stupid fucking blank. Yeah, he so this was obviously McCarthy getting really nervous that somebody was on to them because this man came looking for his daughter. Isn't that holy guys, shit? Katie's mouth is wide open right now because I'm I'm like oh you, my. God. She read my computer screen with the quote and the words I did not insert. <gasps> so Sprinsky is sitting here this listening guy to is this. Redi- McCarthy is a piece of shit. Disgusting. And we'll get more into the nitty gritty, but I mean, just what we're seeing and hearing about now, like this is ridiculous. It's insane. And that's I think a good 
part where you can maybe say how they met because as we just said joe amoroso is bella's father not michael mccarthy so yes. he came into the picture later mm -hmm. um bella just for facts sake was conceived in a tent um mm -hmm. when they were both homeless living in what was it port authority um so they so I don't know if anybody remembers this, but in 2011, um, there was this thing, it was Occupy Boston. Right. So it was kind of like Occupy Wall Street where people pitched tents. There were hundreds and hundreds of tents. Um, across from the Federal Reserve in Boston, protesters camped to protest economic inequality. I'm not sure whether Joseph Amoroso and Rochelle were part of the protests right. or if they just, but they were using drugs at the time um, and they were in one of these tents and this is where Bella was conceived. Um, and then Bella was born on August 6th, 2012. So Joseph never met his daughter. Um, he actually left to go start a new life and work on his own sobriety, which was really great. And he kept contact with Rochelle. And there were a couple occasions where he would talk with Rochelle on the phone. And Joseph had actually called child services on Rochelle based off of what he heard on the phone. He mm -hmm. noticed, you know, she's slurring her speech and right. she seems really out of it. I know what's going on here because I lived that myself. Right. I think something's going on. And the police actually knew Rochelle as well. She had a prior criminal record of varying charges of heroin possession, prostitution. Um, and then the police were called over to the home several times to do wellness checks on Bella. Right. And then DCYF, Department of Children, Youth, and Families. This is different, like, in every state. But sure. that's kind of like Massachusetts, New England. Um, they had responded to two separate neglect complaints, and both were closed with no results. So this is pretty common with child services. Yeah. Um, they are a great resource a lot of the time. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of the time it seems like they show up to a home and they take a look and they see everything's fine and then they leave and then something right. really bad happens after the fact and you right. think if only they had done something if only they had stepped in and prevented it right so rochelle and michael met um this is like ridiculous <laughs> so Around Bella's first birthday, Rochelle was actually sober and she was really trying and she was going to a methadone clinic in Boston near her home. Um, if anybody is familiar with Methadone Mile in Boston, this is where the clinic was. Um, they had needle exchanges and everything. So yeah. they had a couple outreach programs there to really try and help these people on right. Methadone Mile. And right. this is where Rochelle was, you know, going and taking advantage of this resource. So she was using Suboxone to reduce substance cravings, mm -hmm. and she was also taking a medication called Clonopin for her anxiety. Mm -hmm. So as she was leaving the methadone clinic, she actually met Michael outside, and he was homeless, and he seemed to be withdrawing from drugs and just really having a hard time. Right. So she actually, out of an act of kindness, gave him some of her Clonopin. This is such a love story. To try to, you know, help him and, right. you know, make him feel better. And sure. Disney. Yeah, clonopin is a medication that you can abuse as well. Yeah. So this is this one really was not good on her part. But you know what? She she thought she, she was being kind and helping him. He was clearly suffering. Right. Um, they ended up talking and exchanging numbers, and they didn't hear from each other for a few months. And then Michael hit her up a couple months later for more clonopin. Classic. She invited him over to the apartment where she lived with Bella. Mm-hmm. And just her and Bella. I yep, believe. just her and Bella. Yep. Um, government subsidized housing that she was able to receive for being sober and you know having a child and she, right. she was trying she was Michelle was trying and she had good resources to try and help her mm -hmm. and so Michael went over to the apartment and he never really left yeah. after that 
So that was probably in when the winter of when they started. He moved like into her apartment was around the winter before Bella was killed. Yep. Um, and like you said, he just never left, which was terrible. I wish he had. Yeah. Bye. But you know, no, of course not. So the reason why we wish he left is because, well, he's the one who's responsible for Bella's death. Mm-hmm. This is how Rochelle tells it in the testimony um, that she gave at the trial. She says um, they were out in the living room, her and McCarthy. They were watching a movie in the living room when Bella, who again was a two-year-old girl, kept get waking up and coming out to the living room, and so Rochelle kept putting her back to bed. Well, one of these times, Michael was like, I'll do it, and he brought her back to the bedroom. Now, when he didn't like come back immediately, Rochelle got up and went into the bedroom and noticed that McCarthy was kneeling on the ground in front of the bed where Bella Bond was laying horizontally. So instead of lying like with her head on a pillow, she was laying across it like the short way, if that Mm -hmm. makes sense. And so um, this is the moment when McCarthy, I don't know what led to this exactly, but McCarthy was very frustrated with Bella and he punched her so hard in the abdomen that her whole body flew up in the air and landed down again on the mattress. Like, she bounced. That's how hard this man punched this little girl. And so, according to Rochelle, she says that Bella didn't even react to this punch. Like, she was already, like, beaten or that really did her in immediately. And Rochelle screamed, what the fuck did you do? As I'm sure you would. And McCarthy, ruthless, just shrugged. He was like, "Um, I don't know, just punched her. I mean, that part, I don't know if he said anything, but he did just shrug. And so Rochelle grabs Bella and notices that she's no longer breathing and she attempts to do CPR. Now, Rochelle has never been trained in CPR um, and she describes it in court. The prosecutor, whoever's talking, does ask her, do you know CPR? And she says, no. <sighs> and she says, the prosecutor says, How, what did you do to give her CPR? And Rochelle said that she, like, tilted her head back, like, breathed into her mouth a few times, and that was all she really did. She was just giving her breaths. She didn't know to give her compressions, Mm -hmm. which that's at no fault of Rochelle. That is something that you do have to learn. And nowadays, I mean, not that this was a long time ago, but you do take infant CPR when you're, like, a new parent. Um, It's, like, not required, but it's highly, highly, highly recommended. Yeah, I mean, not every person off the street is going to know how to do CPR, like the the timing and the ratio and how many to do and right, compressions right. to breath. And like, that's not something that everybody knows no. how to do. So this is not, it's, can you imagine not knowing CPR, but knowing that that is the right thing to do for your child and right. attempting it? Right. Oh my God. She really tries. This poor woman. Yeah. I, I really do feel bad for this woman. I do too. I do too. Because her circumstances are... Horrible. At this point, she was back on drugs with Michael McCarthy. Yeah. I think that's important to mention. So she was back on drugs. Mm-hmm. I believe heroin yeah. specifically. Um, so she's trying to do CPR. She's not doing the right... She has the right idea, but she's yeah. not doing the right thing. Oh, my which, God. Which, again, no fault to herself. And it just sucks. she says, and this made me want to cry, she said that Bella's head was swollen and gray. Oh. Yeah. There was no blood or physical injury that she could see, but her head was swollen and gray, and she was lifeless, essentially. Jesus Christ. Yep. So this is when Rochelle picked up Bella and attempted to run out to, like, you know, get help, screaming, like, help, help. 
Michael McCarthy grabbed her and said something along the lines of, you're not going anywhere. Like, if you tell anyone, I will kill you. And so, because she just witnessed him kill her daughter, she knew he was not lying, that he probably could kill her as well. This was her direct testimony in court. Mm -hmm. Now, this is one of those things, like, with opinions, like, do we think she's guilty? Do we think, you know, she's lying? I personally think that she's not innocent, but I don't think she killed her daughter. I agree. I, I think she helped dispose of her daughter, mm-hmm. but I don't think she killed her daughter. And I think she was coerced because Michael McCarthy is a very violent, volatile man. Yeah, and her inhibitions are impaired. She's on heroin. Correct. And she actually, this was really sad. So when Joseph Amoroso, mm. Bella's biological father, showed up and said, okay, I'm, I'm here, you know, you're not answering my phone calls. I'm here on my own accord to see my daughter. Right. He said that she was so strung out and was, you know, leaning on the doorway for support. And right. at that time, um, September of 2015 at that time, she, Rochelle, and Michael McCarthy had been using heroin four to seven times a day. Jesus Christ. And her, um, Rochelle had said that, you know, she had increased her heroin use to numb the pain of her daughter's death. Right. That was the only way she knew how. Right. That's the only coping mechanism that she really knows how to do. Yeah. So she was using heroin. I'm surprised she lived, to be honest. That is a lot of heroin. Like, a lot. So her and Michael McCarthy were just doing that for really sad. almost three months to cope with her to cope with the loss of her daughter mm-hmm. and I'm sure him to cope with the fact that he just killed a two-year-old girl mm-hmm. which is horrifying it's it's horrific so um back to where we had talked about the quote-unquote refrigerator being broken yeah McCarthy had initially stored Bella's body in that refrigerator before dumping it into the water in the Boston Harbor so it's not um, they're not able to pinpoint the exact date or time of her death right. um, or how long that Bella had been in the fridge and then had been in the water, but that is where her body was stored before McCarthy right. disposed of the body. The mind reels. That's just disgusting. It's, it's, it's horrible. So that's why the fridge was important. Mm-hmm. They, there was a picture I saw online of them removing the fridge from the house. Oh. Yeah. Because, I mean, it was evidence. Mm-hmm. And to know that that little girl was in... Makes for God knows how long. I know. Makes because they're in a heroin-addled state. They right. Don't, they can't exactly pinpoint, you know, it was on this day that she was put in at this time, and right. we took her out at this time on this day and put her in the water at right. this day at this time. They, they're they not able to give dates. Right. Which is pathetic. and It is. It, I mean, you're disposing of your daughter's body. You don't even know what day or time it is. Are you kidding right. me? Disgusting. Very sad. It's, it, it, it's, it's horrible. So, McCarthy... Uh, like I, I've had it with him. He testified that Rochelle actually killed Bella, mm. and that he had left the home after witnessing Rochelle treating Bella poorly and treating her negatively and right. yelling at her and the abuse. And right, right. He said that Rochelle's history with drugs had led to Bella's death, and he said that the testimony that McCarthy had beat Bella, Mm -hmm. that wasn't consistent with the autopsy findings because the autopsy said, you know, it doesn't appear that she was beaten. Right. Which, sure, but in a state of decomposition, it is hard to tell what is bruises and what is... Decom? Yes, precisely. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, Later in an interview 
on November 11th, 2020, so this is very recent, yeah. McCarthy stated to the interviewer that he did not kill Bella and he believes that she got into her mother's prescription pills, aka her clonopin, which let's remember that the autopsy ruled that there were there was no drugs or alcohol or any substance found in her system. Right. So this is a load of bullshit. Yeah. Um, the interviewer then said, okay, well, sure, let's, let's go with that and let's say that that's how Bella died. Right. How did she get in the water? And McCarthy said... Quote, my attorney doesn't think it's a good idea to get into anything specific like that. Fuck you. Literally a piece of Fuck shit. Fuck you. And he thinks that he should not be serving time. Dumbass motherfucker. Like, give me a break because compared to his sentence versus Rochelle. Yeah. You know. Yeah. And so... To that point, Michael McCarthy was convicted guilty of mm-hmm. second-degree murder. Um, he was held without bail, of course. And his parole eligibility was set for at least 20 years. So, which is not... No, no. No, no, no. More time, please. That's yeah, not enough. Um, sit in jail and think about what you did. Yeah. Remember her face every mm-hmm. single night when you go to bed please. on your hard concrete bed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And he was sentenced to life in jail in Massachusetts. Rochelle, on the other hand, entered a plea of guilty um, for accessory act after the fact. So she didn't plead to killing her daughter. She pled guilty to helping him dispose of her body, mm-hmm. which is true. Yep. Now, she was sentenced to a two-year probationary period, which was um, after serving 665 days in jail, wow. waiting for the trial to happen. So that they said that her time served in that amount of time was good. So she just was let off on probation. Wow. Yeah. So as far as I know, she's walking free to this day yeah, she in is. Massachusetts. Right. She um, was ordered to undergo, you know, psychiatric evaluation, substance abuse assistance, and she had to complete community service to pay back fees she owed for the court, which was like something crazy, like $600. Like it was something stupid like that. Mm-hmm. And she was free, probationary. And then Bella was buried at the Winthrop Cemetery on November 28th, 2015, with the dates of her headstone reflecting the day she died as the day that she was found. Right. Because, again, the exact day that she died could not be determined. Right. This poor girl, she did die just a few months shy of her third birthday. Yeah. And that's the story of Bella Baby Bond. Doe. Of Bella, Bella Bond. <laughs> Baby Doe of Deer Island. Yes. Bella Bond. A.K.A. Bella Bond. A tragic, tragic case. Something that I remember very vividly, and it breaks your heart because she was such a little, she was just a little girl, little angel. She had the cutest little face. Her eyes were so cute. She's gorgeous. She's a beautiful little girl. And it's it's really, really sad because, you know, Rochelle was sober for a time and she really was trying. And it seems like this asshole came in and ruined everything. Yeah. And it it just goes to show, too, how heroin, it doesn't. Or substance use in general. Yeah. It, it really ruins lives and not just the lives of the users, but, you know, those around. Yeah. Especially, it's so sad. I mean, she, her own daughter ended up dead. Mm-hmm. And it was partially due to, I mean, I think it was largely due to her drug addiction. Yeah. And that's not Bella's fault. Mm-mm. So it's tragic that she had to be placed in the hands of addiction through her parents, through her mother and her mother's disgusting piece of shit, no good, awful, eighth ring of hell piece of garbage. <laughs> Was that enough? That I, th- I think that covers it, yeah. <laughs> I hate that man. Yep. And um, I really hope he stays in jail forever because 20 years um, before you can 
ask for parole. That's too little time. Like, why isn't it? That's not fair. I agree. And they're arguing, too, that some of the case was premeditated. Um, oh, yeah. Especially the way that he disposed of her body. It wasn't just in the trash bags. It was um, a green duffel bag was found. Right. And he actually placed a 10-pound weight and a 25-pound weight. So um, before the water current freed the trash bag with Bella's body, mm-hmm. it was in a duffel bag right. weighed down. So the goal was to Hiding have it. her sink right to the bottom of Boston Harbor. And that's literally premeditation. Mm-hmm. Wasn't you're, you're planning this out. You have a game plan. Yeah. Disgusting. Mm-hmm. That was, it's horrible, but it's, it's important to talk about yeah. these kind of cases because it happens everywhere. Mm-hmm. It really does. And like our podcast mission is, we want everyone to know that this happens literally everywhere, even in sleepy little New England. Right. And how many children are found that don't get this media attention, that don't get a photoshopped image and right. billboards and national right. coverage and CNN. And, right. you know, there are children that go missing and are still missing or children that are found and not identified that right. are still looking for an identity. Yeah. It's very, it's heartbreaking. Yeah. You can only ever hope that it doesn't happen to anyone you know or love. So thank you for listening, guys. As always, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at truecrimene. All lowercase. And you can email us at truecrimene at gmail.com, which is always a fun time. You should email us your hometowns. You can DM us your hometown stories, yeah. whatever you like. We've More questions for us, too. Those are yeah. fun. What is up? We'll answer any question. We're Q&A queens. <laughs> um, and we just love hearing other stories. Yeah. We'll say it again and again. Just send us a little link, and we'll, we'll look into things for you and with you. And you can listen to us wherever you like to listen. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Pocket Casts, uh, Anchor, where we produce this podcast and you lovingly listen to our ad anchor is the best it, we literally promote it to anyone because it's so convenient yeah like if we were not doing an ad we would do our own ad yeah. because like we it's it's really been a lifesaver mm-hmm. it makes it so easy especially for me with editing and like distributing because you're the social media correspondent mm-hmm. and then i do the editing which is a, that was a choice i don't know why i don't know who made <laughs> why we did that choice but it's happening so um it's great it's a great app so yeah thank you for listening guys and we'll see you next week bye bye